the Lord is saying to us, hey, I want to call you into a place. I want to call you up into a place of stewarding that leadership well. And so as we move through tonight, I want us to be thinking about that. Whose attention do you have and how are you stewarding it? When I was thinking kind of of examples of leadership in my life today, I kind of um, started thinking about middle school. And it's like one of the weirdest places to think about when you think about leadership. So I had a bunch of friends. They all lived in this neighborhood called Conway Place. And I would like rollerblade over there every day after middle school. And we'd play roller hockey on a tennis court in the neighborhood that didn't have a net on it. And so right across from that vacant kind of dilapidated tennis court, it was actually not dilapidated, it was unfinished, um, were two of my friends, Nathan and Adam, and they were twins who were my age. And then like down the street, there were Doug and Elaine and Andy and Chris, and up on the front street of this neighborhood was my friend Ryan and Brad. So I had all these friends who were living in this neighborhood, and like every day a bunch of us would converge on this neighborhood and play roller hockey. And uh, it, it was just like this really exciting time, and it was really magnetic, and so many of the people there seemed to be people that other people wanted to spend time with and hang out with. And when we were at school, a lot of these people would hold leadership positions. And I was thinking about that today, that the, there, were, there was this group of people who seemed to have the attention of other people. But, and I started to think about it, and, and, and to me, it was almost unquantifiable as to why. Why did this group of people have the attention of other people? Why did I want to rollerblade like a mile and a half over to Conway Place to play roller hockey? What was it about this group of people that was drawing me in? And so when I think about leadership, I think sometimes it really is that nebulous. And it's the responsibility of all of us to recognize the leadership that we possess and leverage it for the sake of the kingdom. You hear sports like athletes talk about, you know, you know, I don't want to be an example. But there's a responsibility that comes with position that says you need to begin stewarding the position that you have well. So as we talk about leadership in our context, I think the best place for us to look is the life of Jesus. And so we're going to spend the rest of tonight just kind of bullet pointing what, when we look at the life of Jesus, do we see when it comes to Jesus as being a leader? And I just encourage you to write a lot of this stuff down, or if you want to pull out your phone and take notes of these slides, pictures of these slides to kind of go through later. I hope that as we consider whose attention do we have and how we're stewarding it, we can begin looking at the life of Jesus and recognizing how his leadership affects the way that we steward the attention that we have of other people. So when we look at the life of Jesus and we look at his leadership, let's start here. Jesus led from knowing his divine identity. Jesus led from knowing his divine identity. Mark chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 says this, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, so John the Baptist was baptizing him, Jesus saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. And we have this divine declaration over the life of Jesus about his identity. And Jesus lives from this identity. In just a minute, we're going to talk about how Jesus goes to the wilderness right after this moment. And when Jesus goes into the wilderness, we've talked about this before. He is there in the wilderness. He's, he's being tempted. And Satan tempts him three times. And each time that, that Satan comes to him, he says, if you truly are the son of God, 
uh, Satan questions the identity of Jesus and Jesus stands strong under temptation because he knows his identity. This identity has been declared over him and Jesus leads from knowing his divine identity. And so when his identity was questioned, he didn't waver under the pressure of what other people would think or what other people would say or the temptation of the enemy or the temptation of evil. Jesus stayed strong because he led from knowing his identity. For me, I've talked about this several times. When I stepped into the, the, the leadership role that I have here at City Beautiful Church, before we were even City Beautiful Church in 2010, I spent the first several months of being kind of the leader of this community with a high level of anxiety, not knowing what I was supposed to do, not knowing what my responsibilities should be, not knowing how to kind of step into the things that everybody kind of thought I should be doing. And, and after a really rough, probably five or six months of me just trying to like live up to what I thought other people wanted me to do. I finally just came to the end of myself and I said, Lord, like I don't know how to do this and I don't know what it is that you uh, actually, that these people want me to do. And I need you to come and really help me understand who it is I'm supposed to be in the context of this role. And I actually still kind of wrestle with that on a regular basis of saying like, okay, Lord, I know how you made me and I know my identity and I know the things that you've called me to and the things that you've gifted me at, but these people over here think I should be doing this and our church needs me to be doing this. Actually, over the last couple Tuesdays, we have our elder meetings on Tuesday afternoons. We've spent significant amounts of time just like asking the question, them asking me and kind of pushing me and pressing me in a really healthy way of saying like, Cole, who has God created you to be? And how do you live that out in the context of our church community? I think when all of us are leading from a place of knowing our identity, our church is a more healthy place. And I think maybe some of our elders who are in the room are chuckling because that's what they've been saying to me. And I've been like, well, we need this and we need to do this. And there's this hole and I have to fill this hole. And it's our church is a more healthy place when each of us is filling the role that God has called us to fill. And so Jesus led from knowing his divine identity in the same way we are to do that. That's why we're in this spiritual gift series, recognizing that God has gifted us each uniquely and that our church is the best and most effective it can be in accomplishing the mission that God has commissioned us to fulfill, when we're fulfilling the roles that we are created to, to fulfill, as opposed to trying to fill the holes or put out fires or deal with emergencies and to kind of live in a constant state of distraction, but saying, Lord, who am I? Who have you declared me to be? And how can I live from that? And that's what we see over and over again in the life of Jesus. So Jesus led from knowing his divine identity. Also this, Jesus led by following the Spirit. So Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He comes up out of the water and Mark 1, 12 and 13 says this, at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. And so we see this picture immediately when Jesus receives the Holy Spirit after this baptism, the spirit sends him out and Jesus is obedient to go to that. And even though that was a rough moment, even though that was a difficult time, Jesus lived by following the spirit because he recognized that living in the things and the callings that God had on his life, that the father had on his life, that the spirit was leading him into was the best place that he could be. 
And as God calls us to steward the attention that we have of other people, the best place we can be is in relationship with the Holy Spirit, understanding and hearing the voice of the Spirit in our lives so that we're moving into the things that God is calling us into, even when those things may be difficult. Thirdly, Jesus led through intimacy with the Father. So Jesus had this relationship with the voice of the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit in his life. Jesus also led through intimacy with the Father. And we see Jesus going away to these quiet places quite regularly, these places where he spends alone time with the Father. Matthew 14, 22 and 23, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat. So Jesus had just been talking to all these people on the side of a hill. And Jesus says to the disciples, get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. In Luke 5, 15 and 16, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And there was this constant kind of clamor for the attention of Jesus. Jesus, look at us. Jesus, heal us. Jesus, teach us. Jesus, come be with us. Jesus, you need to do this and you need to be this and you need to come and you need to be here. But Jesus recognized the importance and the value of going and being alone with the Father. And as you steward the attention of other people, you do not become a slave to it. Rather, we are the sons and daughters of God in intimate relationship with the Father and we operate out of a place of peace. When you and I are in intimate relationship with God, we don't operate out of a place of turmoil or tension. We operate out of a place of knowing who God says we are and understanding the things that he's leading us into so that we lead from a place of peace as, a, as opposed to a place of tension and turmoil. And this is one of the things that kind of I've learned over the years and I think we see in the life of Jesus regularly, is that good leaders are honest about how they feel, but they make decisions based on a higher vision. And um, we see this in the life of Jesus, Matthew 26, 39, and we can put this back up in a second, but let's look at this passage, Matthew 26, 39. So this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Going a little further, uh, he's going into the garden to pray. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And so Jesus, in his intimacy with the father, embodied this for us. Good leaders are honest about how they feel, but make decisions based on a higher vision. And so I recognize that I experience tension and I experience turmoil and I experience anxiety in my role as a leader at times. And there is a place for me with the people who are close to me and sometimes in the midst of this environment to be really honest about how I feel. But I don't wake up in the morning and make my decisions as a leader based on how I feel. I wake up in the morning and make my decisions based on the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the calling of the Father on my life and the truth of who he says I am, or at least that's what I want for my life. And I think we lead best when we are people who understand that there may be really difficult days, but I am going to continue to press on in the higher vision that God has called me to, all the while being honest with the people in my life who are walking along this, in this journey with me. And so all of us have these people in our lives that, helped us, that help us move into a place of health as we step into deep places of leadership. Next, Jesus led by empowering others. And so we see Jesus in relationship with the disciples, empowering others. Um, and we recognize that good leaders recognize the necessity of other people 
and animate them into their purpose. And so Jesus could have accomplished a lot of stuff on his own. He could have gone out. Obviously, people were listening to him. But Jesus recognized the necessity of pouring into the disciples. He recognized the necessity of other people and animating them into their purpose. And so how did Jesus do this in the life of the disciples? We're going to take a minute to look at several ways that Jesus did this. First, Jesus empowered others by teaching them. He taught them and demonstrated the kingdom for them. Jesus calls many of the disciples in Matthew chapter 4. And then at the end of Matthew chapter 4, there's a section that talks about how Jesus goes around healing and casting out demons and bringing people to life. And so it talks about how Jesus is exemplifying for the disciples the way of the kingdom. And then immediately in Matthew chapter 5, he goes into the Sermon on the Mount and he begins teaching the practical realities of what it means to be people who follow God. And so Jesus was constantly connecting with the disciples and teaching the disciples what it looked like to live the life of the kingdom, both through demonstration of the Spirit's power and then also through practical teaching. And as you and I think about this question, who do you have the attention of and how are you stewarding it? It's important that we be people who have the character that calls us into a life where we live out the ways that Jesus lived. So Jesus taught the disciples, empowered the disciples by teaching them. He empowered others by giving them authority. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus uh, says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And Jesus demonstrated for these disciples what it looked like to live the kingdom. He taught them the principles of the kingdom. And then just a few chapters later, Jesus calls the disciples to them and he gives them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. There was a moment where Jesus shifted from just simply teaching the disciples to beginning to give them his authority to go out and live like he lived. So again, as we ask this question, whose attention do you have and how are you stewarding it? Are we asking the question, how does your life impart to others a life that calls them into something bigger and something deeper? One of the principles I love that I've been thinking about a lot and learning a lot about over the last several years is kind of this concept in leadership of honoring and and exceeding. I want to honor the people who come before me and I want to be I want to expect to be exceeded by the people who come after me. And I think we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus honored the prophets who came before him. Jesus honored John the Baptist who came before him. But he also expected to be exceeded by the people who were to come after him. And and I think when we think about honoring the people who come before us, a lot of times we think about this concept of, I'm just supposed to live like they lived. But we don't honor those who have come before us by replicating them. We honor them by building on the good things they had done. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus looked at how the prophets who had come before him had been building the, the momentum of the kingdom and how John the Baptist was continuing to live that out. And then Jesus came on the scene and he became a completion for the agenda of God of reconciliation reconciling all things back to himself. And Jesus honored the past by continuing to build upon it as opposed to simply replicating what had existed before. And then we see this concept of exceeding as well in John chapter 14 verse 12.
12, when Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And Jesus is saying to us today, live the way I lived, but also look at how the Spirit is continuing to move and the things that God is calling us as a people into as we continue on in the lineage of the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed on the face of the earth, bringing heaven into a a reality amongst us. And so God continues to say, hey, Jesus says to us in John chapter 14, these are the things I did, but greater things are coming for you. So step into those things and expect to exceed even the things that Jesus did. And we see this over and over again. I just want us to kind of pause right here for a moment and think about that idea. The people whose attention you have, uh, the people who are following you, the people who look to you, how are you stewarding that attention in this way? How are you lifting them up in a place to, to have them platformed to exceed you? I just want you to think about that right now. Maybe you, in your office or your workplace, how are you challenging and encouraging people to exceed you? All right. Moving into the next thing. So we've talked about Jesus led from knowing his divine identity. He led by following the Spirit. He led through intimacy with the Father. Jesus led by empowering others. And now we'll move to this. Jesus broke the rules to care for people. And I love this image of Jesus. I think sometimes I really resonate with Jesus in this way where he was in the midst of a culture with a lot of imposed rules and he kind of pushed on those rules a lot. And I think for me, that is something that I kind of encounter internally a lot. And so in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, I'll just read this story where Jesus um, goes into the synagogue. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And I love this. Jesus knows that people are looking for a way to trap him. But what does he do? He stands up and he says, hey, you, man with a shriveled hand, stand up. It wasn't this thing that Jesus decided to do in private and secret. He was like, no, I know what you all think. I know what you all want. But this is the thing that God has called me to, that the Father's called me to, to care for people. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But of course, I added that, of course. They remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And I love that. Jesus, like as an act of civil disobedience, healed a man's hand. Like, do you see how beautiful that is? Like Jesus' rebellion was to give life to people. And I think so many times our rebellion is to like want to punch somebody in the face or want to like just, I don't know, smash a window with a chair. I mean, maybe that's not you. Maybe sometimes that's just me. Um, But like, I think a lot of times we have this kind of like rebellious angstiness inside of us. But Jesus' rebellion was to heal a man's hand. And this is what I think I take from this. Don't break the rules as a disillusioned rebel. Break the rules as a hopeful reformer. 
And that is like what I want to like transform my life into. I think so often I break the rules as a disillusioned rebel and I'm really angsty and I'm really frustrated. And as a result of that, I add to the violence of an environment. I add to the violence of a situation. But Jesus broke the rules as a hopeful reformer and his rebellion was to heal people and bring life. And that's the power that we have as we step into leadership in the empower, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to step into a deeper place of, of purpose in our rebellion. And I don't think that, that rebellion is always bad. I think that there's a place for that as we're hopeful reformers, believing that the, God is moving and active when we have, the, we have the opportunity to reveal those realities. Um, next, Jesus did what was best even when people were no longer willing to follow him. I think this is a hard reality for a lot of leaders that um, for a lot of leaders, uh, we have this thing where it's like people are so integral to our lives and um, people oftentimes there, there, there becomes a fear and we have a fear of man in our leadership. But Jesus continued to move forward even when people were no longer willing to follow him. And on Easter, we had these lights that were hanging up here and we moved through the last few days of Jesus' life. And as we moved through the last few days of Jesus' life, we talked about how um, the three in the garden kind of betrayed him. We talked about how Judas turned away from him and Peter and the crowds and the rest of the disciples. And Jesus continued to be just abandoned. And he had this moment in the garden that we read a few minutes ago where it was like, God, I don't want this, but whatever you want, I'm going to step into it. And it was this, this embodiment that Jesus knew his path. And even when everyone walked away, and even when it was really hard, Jesus continued to say, Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me. I want to go to the right places, even when no one's willing to follow me. And that is, I think, the leadership lesson for us. Going places, regardless of whether people are following, sets us up to lead well. So we think about the, having the attention of people, but we don't want to be slaves to the attention of people. We don't want to be slaves to the fear of those around us. We want to be people who are confident in our sonship, in our, in our adopted childhood, in the light of the Father, and, and live from that. That we would be people who are following Christ, not swayed by the, um, the insecurities that we have of the other people around us. And of course, we look at all of these things and we could keep going for days, I'm sure, talking about how Jesus embodies the beauty of leadership. But we're gonna just take those and say, and now we follow Jesus. We take these principles. We ask the question, whose attention do I have? We ask, what am I doing with it? How am I stewarding well? And now we follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we become the aroma of Christ and we become the beautiful scent of Jesus and people are drawn into that. In 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, it says, we are the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma, the aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And we are called to follow God as, um, as, as leaders who are first following him. And we step into the fullness of the things that he has for us.